0: or the branch of the Lord. Um, Isaiah, apparently, uh, just loves gardening, orchards, and vineyards. His metaphors come from horticulture and agriculture again and again. But these people will bear fruit, the kind of fruit that God wants them to produce. And this is a community created by grace. Grace the Lord washing away sin and the stain and blemish of sin so as to leave the community spotless and clean without accusation. For this community is a spirit community created by an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit, capital S, I think, the Spirit, capital S, of justice, the Spirit, capital S, of fire. And this is a community characterized by the presence of God In a new way, Isaiah uses the imagery of Exodus, the presence of God marked by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. But however that might be interpreted, this is a community that has, in a new way, the presence, provision, and protection of the Lord God Almighty. When will these things happen? Well, Isaiah tells us in that day. In that day. In the last days. In the day that the Lord Almighty has in store. The day of the Lord. And... Isaiah understood that in a, real and partial, in a real yet partial way, the day of the Lord would be most certainly that day when Assyria devastated the land of Judah and left it as a smoldering ruin. He understood that in a real yet partial way, the day of the Lord would be the, the day when the Babylonians came to Jerusalem and took everybody away as slaves into captivity. Isaiah also understood that in a real, yet partial way, the day of the Lord would be when that same exile came to an end and the Jews returned to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. Indeed, from that time onwards, Israel would never again be addicted to idolatry in the sense of addicted to bowing down and worshipping statues. The exile would indeed cure them of that for all time. From this we can see and say that the day of the Lord is, perhaps rather than one particular time or event, it is a principle operating in history. Cycles of suffering and refining in which the lordship of of God is made manifest, the human community chastened and corrected in its career. And for me personally, the more I study history, and there are certain periods of history that that I, I find absolutely fascinating, the more I study history, the more obvious it is to me that Jesus Christ is Lord. And that's obviously what God is doing in history. But... If the day of the Lord is an operating principle operating across history, it is a principle that will see, in effect, the rule of God on earth become ever more tangible, ever more obvious, ever more real. So the kingdom of God, the rule of God, is the day of the Lord. Um, I hope you're still with me for what I'm trying to point out is that if somebody might come driving out demons, healing the sick, feeding the hungry, releasing the oppressed, raising the dead and preaching the good news to the poor, then the kingdom of God has come upon us. It is the day of the Lord. By faith in Jesus Christ, we enter the community of the branch of the Lord. Forgiven and washed clean, without stain, blemish, or accusation, filled with the Holy Spirit, we have the protection, provision, and presence of God in a new way through Jesus Christ, God's Son. Isaiah is seeing in the Holy Spirit. Isaiah is seeing Jesus and his disciples. He is seeing the church and the Holy Spirit, the age we live in now. And he is seeing the return of Christ and the consummation of all things the unification of heaven and earth. God will be with his people in ever increasingly new and intimate and perfect ways. The day of the Lord. And the faithful remnant in Christ, purified, redeemed, so as to be able to fulfill her creation mandate, she will bear the fruit God wants. Which is what exactly? Well, uh, let's reverse the flow of the logic of the text in order to determine what that might be. We know that by the blood of Christ, we are spared the condemning judgment of God. We are forgiven. We are washed clean. By his blood, we are without stain, blemish, or accusation in the presence of God. By his blood. But as God's repentant people, we learn how to be God's repentant people by repenting of past mistakes and learning not to do them again. So let's think about actions and attitudes. Let's exercise our judgment on our own actions and attitudes in order that we might avoid any unnecessary discipline from our Lord. And our text this morning from Revelation shows us a church that is going to undergo discipline unless she repents. She's in desperate trouble, that church, because they have become wealthy. But as our text today also from Isaiah, we see it's not the wealth that is offensive. And these Laodicean Christians, they were deeply offensive. They were deeply offensive to Christ. But it's not the wealth, it's rather the heart attitude that the wealth had created. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and I do not need a thing. A spirit of independence. A spirit of self-satisfied, self-congratulating arrogance. Wealth, in terms of the spirituality that it tends to produce, Wealth creates nauseating Christians. Self-satisfied Christians are repulsive to God and to the world, actually, for that matter. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So, because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spew you or vomit you out of my mouth. Lukewarm Christianity, committed to be sure, but not passionate, is nauseating. It's repulsive. These things should prompt us to careful, prayerful, and ongoing self-examination. For me, I find myself regularly having to ask God's forgiveness, my father's forgiveness for haughtiness and arrogance. For these things are detestable to him, like the smell of an open sewer to us. If you don't think of me as an arrogant or haughty person, well, maybe I'm not compared to some. But then again, I also know that I, uh, uh, I, I know enough to try to keep such stuff carefully hidden from the likes of you. But it's there. Just ask Joe. Easy success often leads us in our sinful imaginations to pride in ourselves and to contempt for others who haven't enjoyed, for whatever reason, any kind of similar success. And all of us enjoy easy success, at least in a few areas of life. But any ability or success or wealth is from God to whom belongs all praise and honor and glory. So here's a simple test a simple test. I apply and fail again and again and again. Here's a simple test. If any kind of weakness in another human being provokes feelings of contempt rather than feelings of compassion, then actually we need to bring that under the Lord's review. We need to take that into his presence and find out what that's about. We judge our own thoughts and attitudes in the light of God's word lest we once again fall under the disciplining judgment of God. That's attitudes. What about actions? Well, our text today reminds us that leadership means servanthood. Leadership means looking after the poor. That's what leadership is. Now, when I say looking after the poor, maybe the first thought that might go through our heads is, oh, okay, I'll make a donation to World Vision. And by all means, do so. That's a lovely thing to do, but it doesn't quite get us to where I want to go. To generalize biblical themes, leadership means having power, and poverty means not having power, or not as much power. So, then, insofar as we are all Christians, we are therefore all leaders. And we can all exercise the power that God has given us so as to serve those near us who don't have as much power as we do. And every single one of us can do that. It means, for example, in families, those who are stronger make it their business to use their strength to look after those who are not so strong. In workplaces, those who are at an advantage use that advantage for the benefit of those who are at a disadvantage. In the community or in the playground, those who belong welcome in those who are on the margins or on the outside or who don't belong quite as well. In the classroom, the one who understands first can use their power to help those who haven't yet caught on rather than to gloat. If there is a counter between you and another person, Who is in the position of power? When I go to McDonald's or to Coles, the person on the other side of the counter does not have as much power as I do. I am the consumer, I am the customer, and I'm always right. But only in McDonald's. I'm always right as the consumer by the dictates of liberal capitalism. So then, in such situations, let's be careful to empower those who are in positions of servitude. If somebody has to tell me their name as part of their job, I always make a point of respond immediately by telling them my name, just to even things up. In my own experience, people who think they are powerless generally behave really badly because they think they have to behave badly in order to get their needs met. But none of us are ever powerless because the Holy Spirit is with us all of the time. And the Lord God Almighty is our refuge and defender, and no one is stronger than he. None of us ever have any excuse to behave badly power has been given to the powerful in order that they might protect the less powerful. That's leadership. And if they fail to use their power for that purpose, they'll find themselves powerless and leaderless. This is the ironic judgment of God. Now, we know from the New Testament that the New Testament church included significant numbers of rich Christians some of whom were clearly very wealthy. It was in their homes, by and large, that the first Christians met. Christians such as Lydia of Thyatira. And we also know that many of these Christians enjoyed adorning themselves by way of elaborate hairstyles, gold jewellery, and fine clothes. These things, in and of themselves, are neither here nor there. I'm not preaching against MIMCO. And I thank them for this lovely picture. I'm not preaching against MIMCO. We're free to wear bangles. We're free not to wear bangles. But Christians such as those, Christians such as these, we have to learn through Peter and Paul the lessons of Isaiah. That the right way to bear fruit for Jesus is to be kind and generous, and willing to share with others, to see need, and to not turn away from it. And the beauty that cannot be taken away, the beauty that cannot be taken away, either by age or by the Assyrians, is the beauty of gentleness, kindness, and a peaceable spirit. Jesus says, just keep walking with me. Just keep trusting me and my forgiveness just keep copying me with the strength that i provide and our father will make sure you bear fruit much fruit fruit